Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. It's been a minute, but you are back with the Telegraph Rugby Podcast ahead of the Six Nations kicking off this weekend. What ideal timing to have us back in your lives. You're joined once more by myself, Ben Coles, the Telegraph Rugby Reporter, and I'm here with senior rugby writer Charlie Morgan. Hi, Charlie. Colsey. And Telegraph Rugby Reporter Charles Richardson. Hi, Charles. Hello, and welcome back, everybody. Oh, uh, Charles, given that Charlie and I have spent most of the uh, gap between podcasts off on paternity leave, can you um, explain to us what's been happening in the last uh, three months while we've been away? Uh, international level, it looks like France and Ireland are going to continue dominating at, at club level. Though their their respective club sides have looked really strong as well in the Champions Cup and um, Northampton, Northampton all all aboard the Northampton Saints hype train bandwagon playing rugby from the gods, yeah, um, deserved numerous calls up in Steve Borthwick's England squad and um, you've got to say at the minute favourites for the title, the Premiership Ch- title. Charlie, instead of um, talking about the Six Nations, can you just expand on your love of Patrick Mahomes and the fact that he's off to a fourth Super Bowl? How do you feel about that? I did manage to crowbar him into an article about who was going to replace I saw. Um, Farrell's fly half of Saracens, if that gives it you is. any idea. <laughs> Patrick yeah, Mahomes? Maybe. Oh my goodness will, um, will Lewis Rees Summit be there? What, in the Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know how it works. In the Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't, know. Uh, I don't really follow it. He's got two weeks to <laughs> learn the game, get a contract. Listen, I'm... But by all accounts, from everything I've read, that's just as likely as him actually making it. I, isn't I it? don't want to put anyone down. Maybe, yeah. maybe he could. He could get okay. the Super Bowl. Um, seriously, though, we're delighted to be back. Delighted to have you listening. Just very delighted all around. There's loads of Six Nations coverage on the website over the next few days. So please, please have a look. Dig into that. Follow us for all of the latest stories and build up. It's a new World Cup cycle, and that means that things get a bit weird, don't they, Charles, in mm. terms of old heads are gone, young faces are coming in. Who are you most excited about, I guess, if you had to pick a team or, or a player going through a bit of change? Um, I'm probably most excited about Italy, to see Italy, because obviously they looked very, very strong in the last Six Nations, maybe should have maybe should have got, got that win. Uh didn't quite get there because they had their worst half of the championship in the game that they were most likely to win against Wales in Rome. And then they had a complete meltdown in the World Cup. Now, obviously, Gonzalo Casada's come in, new coaching team. That first game against England, I mean, that's just a, that's, it just looks treacherous for England, given that, that their injury list and, and how much we know Italy like to, how expansive and, and, and enterprising we know that Italy like to play. I'm sure Casada, who's he was at Stade Francais beforehand, will have some, some tricks up his sleeve. Um, yeah, new faces, departures, and yet we're still going to have Weenie Antonio and Dan Cole probably starting at tight head this weekend uh, in the Six Nations. So go on. Go on. Thank, thankfully, there's a little bit of continuity. You're not screaming bold, exciting New England era to me with that. You've said treacherous about a trip to Rome. What, well, what's going on? Well, I just think I think it, there's certainly a chance it could be bold, bold and exciting this New England era, but it, it's a bit up in the air. I would say we'll we'll wait and see what happens, and I think. 
they will just want to get beyond that first game, get into the tournament. We've spoken a lot about how key momentum is in the Six Nations. Get get that banana skin Italy away, potentially out, you know, get that off their back, as it were. Then you head to Twickenham against a Wales team where that squad looks a little bit lighter than it has done over the past few seasons. And then you, you may be looking at two wins and you can build from that. But it's with with unavailability and injuries and, and selection quandaries, it's probably not been the most ideal January for England. However, they do have a coaching staff that could hopefully put those weaknesses to one side. Yeah, Charles, right to, to touch on the coaches there. Felix Jones and, and Andrew Strawbridge are clearly going to have some sort of impact with England. Casada's a great, great mention as well. He was probably the, the star of my Six Nations launch last week in Dublin, His just how he spoke about things. The one quote that stuck out to me was, um, you know, I'm a Latin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that passion, especially for our defence, because that was the area that actually just totally collapsed for Italy at the World Cup in those games um, against New Zealand and France. And um, but, but, but also, if we're looking at players, I think that's where the sense of renewal excitement comes in at the start of the, start of the World Cup cycle. Just to quote... Russ Petty to get me going. Follow Russ Petty on X. He'll enrich your tournament. But 34 debutants in the 2020 Six Nations, the corresponding Six Nations of the World Cup cycle. 36 then across the subsequent three tournaments. So this is the tournament traditionally where, you know, where these debutants are blooded. And then, although we hate talking about cycles, that becomes tedious because of this blinkered sort of view towards the World Cup. This is really the opportunity for coaches to kind of lay a foundation to go for the next three years. Do we have to call it X now? Can we not just call yeah. it? That's quite, that was quite artist, seamless. Yeah, it was the artist X. formerly known as Twitter. You did it so naturally that I, I hated it. Uh, it's time, Charles. Just before we dig into to a bit of England chat, you've you've watched the Netflix documentary, which for my sins, and you've reviewed it um, from start. To start <laughs> no, that's harsh. To end, that's harsh. Um, I, I thought you. I mean, you didn't put stars on your review, but, I, no. but if can I guess? I, I would. I would guess that you would have given it. Three. Three probably on a generous day, two Ooh. if I was feeling a bit grumpy. Okay. It's probably two and a half. I think it's, it's a decent enough first stab. Um, I think the obstacles, um, while Netflix has not made too much of a big deal and the Six Nations hasn't made too much of a big deal about those obstacles, I think we all know what they were. I think there was a little bit of um, fear and trepidation among the teams and among the unions at, at opening their doors fully to these camera crews. Um, but... The good news is, is as you'll read on Telegraph Sport this morning on our website, that the viewing figures last week were excellent. Uh, it was the third most watched programme in the UK. It was the number one most watched programme in Ireland and fourth in France last week. Um, by all accounts, it took Drives to Survive, the, the Formula One's equivalent series that Rugby Union is trying to mimic. It took Drives to Survive two or three series to get to that sort of level. Um, so that, in terms of ratings and viewing figures, that does bode very, very well. That we know that the um, the camera crews and the production co- um, crews are with the squads now, and they've been with them since the Six Nations launch in Dublin last Monday. Uh, they travelled to, to to Spain with England and to Portugal with Ireland. We know that the series has not yet been recommissioned, but those viewing figures and the fact that the camera crews are in camp with the squads, you know, it's a boost for them. And, and op- the optimist would say. It could and maybe should be reviewed for a second series. I would like to watch a second series because I think that the drawbacks of the first series are quite easily fixed. It's too long, 
There are five rounds and six teams. You don't need eight episodes. Um, waiting till the third episode to introduce France and Ireland, um, the two best teams in the in the championship and with the best player in the championship, and they played one of the championship's greatest ever games in Dublin last year, was an error. Um, and I, I'm not sure it was quite... It wasn't quite gripping enough... Um, for a neutral and it wasn't quite insightful enough for a rugby fan it was sort of a bit of a grey area it, it was sort of you know robbing Peter to pay Paul almost so if they if they tidied that up um, and focus more on the on the things that make rugby great the, the characteristics that make rugby great the camaraderie the kinship the the team spirit and all those things that are very difficult to show in a documentary in fairness they could be onto a winner they focus on the individual too much and I think that Rugby is not a sport which lends itself particularly easily. The players are not at ease talking about themselves. Maybe they need to be better, but then the argument that that I would put forward is that rugby does have many, many, you know, sundry qualities and it, that are based around a collective. And if the documentary producers focused more on those qualities, then the the individual, the individuality that they're craving would shine naturally. You wouldn't have to be artificially sort of projected and thrust to the viewer. Anyway, that's it. That's no, my no, rant's I over. Th- no, I think that's very good. I think that's good as somebody who's watched it. I, I, the only point I, I thought about as you were saying that was, I guess it's not necessarily... It's, it feels like it's designed for like it's someone who watches the Six Nations in a World Cup but not necessarily rugby week to week. Or someone who doesn't watch rugby at all, if that makes sense. Like it kind of feels like it's in that like middle ground where it will yeah. hopefully entice more people in mm. to to watch it a bit more, and that and that's probably a good thing. Um, yeah, I think it's a fair question to ask, having watched it, as you've touched on that. Who is this actually? Who is this documentary been made for? Who is who? What is the target audience here? If it is eighteen to twenty-four year old Gen Z, where where rugby is sort of falling behind, those who don't know rugby that well, I'm not sure it's good enough to attract them. But is it good enough for the, the the casual rugby fan? Yes. Is it good enough for the the real committed fan, the the proper loyalist? Mm, not sure. To to bring you back crudely to NFL again, I think as a as a sort of um, can't stop it. <laughs> who, who came into that sport as a newbie and was sort of my uh, was introduced through a lot of these um, all access documentaries. I think the access point is just is so important because that's where stars come from organically i feel and, and the point charles makes there about having the stars projected onto you i think can be a bit be a bit stifling that's all i'd say yeah you almost if you're going to do it you have to really open the doors and and also maybe for the second season just do some background checks to see if any of your players are going to go to the nfl by the time the series comes out it might be a well that big but the ser- serious idea. serious point there is that big lag time that's a, a year yeah. is such a long time and we've got we've got more um, documentaries coming out, haven't we? We've got um, the there's one on the World Cup referees. That's going to be more intriguing for its for the, how recent the, the subject matter is. And then we've got one on um, a little bit further down the line on Australia's World Cup coming out. I think at the end of February. Looks fun. Looks really fun, and it's fresh in our minds. The World Cup fresher in our minds than last season Six Nations. We we either said it on the pod or we said it at the time when they announced it was going to happen. We're like, that's quite a big gap between. Between, you know when it's being filmed and when it's being done and I guess we're seeing that sorry yeah Charles just finally I will quickly just go into bat I agree with what you've both said and the, the wait is too long but I'll quickly go into bat for um, the producers here because I don't think they could have I don't think they could have uh, released it uh, uh, during the World Cup 
you know that would that would have been sort of mm. completely self defeating. So therefore, they've delayed it to tee up this year's tournament, this year's championship, sort of to, you know to tee up twenty twenty four Six Nations and get people talking about the championship before the next edition starts on Friday in Marseille. That 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 is, I think that's the thought process behind. The, the the timing and I, I don't think it's too flawed. I don't. I th- I don't they would so have had they had their hands tied slightly. So feasibly, there could be a second series by the autumn. I don't know. Yes, I'm just feasibly. I'm just yeah, speculating. Coming up, we will be speaking to none other than Eddie Jones. We're excited to hear what the former England coach makes of this year's tournament, and we'll also hear from Italy's Sebastian Negri as well, one of the stars of the recent Netflix series. He's been speaking with Charlie. Before all that, though, let's get stuck into England. Just a quick disclaimer, listeners. We recorded this before uh, the news of Marcus Smith's injury came out from Girona. So just keep that in mind when you hear our discussions about England's selection. Okay, Owen Farrell is not involved. Courtney Laws is retired. There's a new captain who I think we all agree was a good choice to be captain because we weren't sure who else might be captain. So he, he seems like an excellent fit in Jamie George. Charlie, let's just talk about that kind of change in leadership first, because I think that's going to be more important than maybe pe- people realise. How how big is that? Yeah, um, it's hugely important, and it and you feel sorry for Steve Borthwick a little bit because he was kind of, um, you don't want his whole England reign so far to be about making excuses and making compromises for what's happened before. But he has got another tough set of circumstances thrust upon him. In Owen Farrell and Courtney Laws, they're they're not only losing two hundred and twenty ish tests; they're losing two different leaders you know you've got an emotional kind of a tenacious emotional leader in, in Owen Farrell and somebody who's in Courtney Laws who's a lot more laid back and you know do as do as I do his performances um, over the past 18 months and, and up till now have been phenomenal he's been in over the course of he's had a long long career he's reinvented we've spoken so much about how he's reinvented himself as a player over that long career and amazingly he's being peak best form, career best form now which is just just remarkable i think there were two options weren't there for Borthwick, he could have done what gatlin did and, and who's gone with daffod jenkins as a real um line in the sand this is this is a new era we're working towards 2027 um gatlin has obviously done that before in the past with some success um in in appointing someone like sam warburton um jamie george has got he's got the air of a kind of transitional captain but he's super popular you know he's going to have a hugely integral role to how England go because he played pretty much 80 minutes of those big games in the World Cup and now that Luke Cowan Dickey's gone down injured um, he's the most experienced hooker there by a long long way um, Steve Borthwick's value on the line out um, makes, him, makes him even more important again so yeah it does feel I've seen a lot of people sort of go oh that's kind of a bit underwhelming because it's just such a a bridge um you know it's not kind of not this line in the sand but i think england are, are going to have to kind of have to strike a bit of a compromise and and that's kind of what that appointment appointment says to me we, we've worked with jamie george for a long time obviously as a player and, and he was almost the player in recent years when things were tough who sort of got wheeled out in front of the media to kind of diffuse any potential situations the most recent example I can think of was after um, the defeat to Ireland in Dublin in the warm-ups where he was the sort of the player who came out and was like look guys we, we know it was laughably regular though yeah. by the end well yeah, yeah I remember I remember one of the the, the corresponding corresponding point a year prior to that Stade de France he was a guy that you know it was a zoom then because obviously but he was going yeah look 
we are we are working hard. I promise. I assume he was front of house after the France game at Twickenham in the Six Nations when they got obliterated. But I can't remember. I can't remember. No. But but, but basically, what I'm saying is he's sort of become this almost almost like this politician who sort of comes out and and and, and I mean and I mean it's in a good way, sort of like tries to get the message across about what England are achieving, which is quite interesting. Um, Charles, with no Farrell as captain, you also don't have a kind of a fly half again. <sighs> One day we'll stop talking about England's sort of midfield fly half selection conundrums. We'll wait and we'll just we'll <laughs> and we'll just have one. But your options now are George Ford coming back from injury, Marcus Smith in very good form, Thin Smith tearing up trees with Northampton. So neck on the line. Who starts in Rome this week? I would start Finn Smith. I think he's been uh, outstanding for Northampton this season and has shown uh, a maturity and a level of game management that I think is not um, necessarily shared by by Marcus Smith, although he has hugely improved in, in, in that regard as well. I mean, you look at some of his performances for Quinns just before Christmas and he was he was absolutely outstanding. But I think back to to Finn Smith for Northampton at Toman Park for, uh, against Munster in the in the driving rain, um, 14 players. I mean, that's as near to sort of test conditions as you're going to get. Backs against the wall, and he he marched them around the park. It was you know it was Ogara-esque on 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 the same field really. It really really was. Um, and regardless of his dual qualification status, I, I think I would be really really tempted to to hand him the the keys. I know it's a risk because he he'd be debutant away away in Rome it's on quite, the opening quite weekend. like to take yeah, a risk like that. Quite, it is it is unborthwick like, but it's also pretty borthwick like to back who you think is the best player and not sort of not sort of you know take much of account of the unmeasurable intangible qualities. You know he would see he would see how well. Finn Smith played in that Munster game and not just in that Munster game there's other games but just using that one as, a, as an example because I think that's as close as it's been to to test rugby talk about Steve Borthwick kind of being pragmatic in that he will back form players I think he will be really wary of how well that Saints contingent has gone as a collective and I think Furbank has just been really important to that it's look, looking like as, as Charles said Dingwall is the rookie he will be in um Almost by default because of the, because of the number of of um, injuries and unavailability in in midfield. Again, no, that's not to, <laughs> that's not that's not to you know denigrate how well Dingwall's been playing. He's a super super clever player, versatile. Switches in and, in and around twelve and thirteen with Rory Hutchinson for Saints, um, and he's been in and around the England setup for ages, despite being a fairly young guy still. So um, yeah, I, I if if Dingwall's going to be there, if Freeman's going to be there, if Alex Mitchell's going to be there, I think. Um, Furbank being there is quite a sensible choice as well. In an almost in an almost perverse twist of fate, I think that Furbank is almost a victim of the injury situation because I think if if it was Manu and Ali Lawrence at, at twelve and thirteen with everybody fit and firing, starting, then he might have looked at Furbank at fifteen owing to that extra distribution because obviously he's played fly half. He's he's much better distributor, much more of a ball player than Freddie Stewart, but. He's probably really going to have to pick Henry Slade in the in the midfield because really there aren't really much other options. So therefore, you've got your distributor, you've got a ball player, so you can get away with Freddie Freddie Stewart at fifteen, can't you? For another year, I find Freddie Stewart just a really fascinating piece of this of this England side because we know his super strength is is 
fantastic, probably unrivaled apart from Hugo Keenan as far as taking high balls and being commanding in that area. However, I'm not sure how much he's kicked on as that as that link man, and he probably has, has a little bit. Leicester, you want you want more to just bring more out of the out of the backline that they've got, and um, Furbank Furbank certainly does that. What I would say is, although Borthwick is super fond of Freddie Stewart, and and he's you know Freddie Stewart helped him to win a Premiership title, which has been a turning point of his whole career. Steve Borthwick, um, he also didn't pick him for the World Cup quarterfinal. Mm. He, he went for he went for um, Marcus Smith on the bench because he felt that England needed that little bit more help moving the ball wide, didn't he? So, yeah, that is they're, they're a, a, amazingly intriguing selection. Quandaries all around this England side of 15 is just another one of them. It's quite fun, isn't it? Especially the Furbank story. I love a, a kind of mini redemption story. And given his last two appearances were starting at fly half against Tonga and then being chucked into the side at the end of that 2022 Six Nations. And they were like, oh, do you want to play fullback when he, when he hadn't played the whole championship? I think it'd be great to see him, great to see him involved. It's a funny, funny tournament in terms of England seem to have a lot of uncapped players who are eligible for other teams and normally you get one or two but there's kind of three with with Finn Smith and Dingwall and Faye Waboso on the wing the, the cynical part of me wonders whether against Italy they just try and cap all of them just because then th- that risk sort of goes away especially especially Dingwall with the form that he's been in I don't know how close he was to being called up by Scotland and Rory Hutchinson's obviously gone back there his Northampton teammate and it's going to be interesting with Faye Waboso in particular because that caused a bit of a stir Charlie, can you see him starting in Rome? It's a it's a difficult one. What I would say is two things. One that Steve Borthwick um, it highlighted, volunteered him, volunteered him explicitly as a when he didn't have to as a player who'd impressed him in the Premiership. It was, there were three players that came out of his mouth first of all, which I fa- which I which took everybody pretty much in the, in the media room by surprise because this chatter about whether Faye Boso would choose England or Wales felt a bit premature regardless of how he was playing in the premiership but he said he, he brought up um Faye Boso brought up Ethan Roots and he brought up Greg Fizzlau now Greg Fizzlau hasn't made the wider squad Ethan Roots has he, and he's and Ethan Roots has got a lot of praise from Steve Borthwick since then with Faye Boso the second thing I'd say the first thing is that Steve Borthwick seems to have tracked him for a long time and, and seems to have been really proactive in how he's contacted him and got him now ahead of ahead of Warren Gatlin the second thing is that he is a uh, he is playing in a really aggressive out-to-win blitz system with, with ex-chiefs, that would seem to me to fit what we suppose Felix Jones will bring in as defence coach. And he's, as well as that, he's very proactive when when his side has the ball, picking up touches around the ruck. Will Greenwood um, compared him to Seve Reese, the All Blacks wing. He's even got a bit of a touch of the Mark Talayas about cool. him, which is a huge shout because Mark Talaya was one of the standout players of the World Cup final. But there are, as ever, um, reasons why Steve Borthwick has, has picked a player. And um, I'm totally sitting on the fences as to whether I think he'll play. There's a, there's a slot there at right wing with, mm. with Johnny May's retirement. Any fit, any any suits it, Charles? You've got seven uncapped players in this in the squad, and I know we've just talked up the uh, how well Finn Smith and and Dingwall have been playing. My Ethan Roots actually have the biggest impact just because of that kind of slot at blindside flanker, where it seems a bit uncertain about what England are going to do. They could they could play Tom Pearson there and have some underhill at seven, or they could give Roots a go from the off, and that would be quite an impressive story, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, he's he's another who's dual qualified with with New Zealand. Yeah, he, he must be because he's born in New Zealand, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. 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 
Um, but he's been in, he's been excellent form for Exeter this season. A real a real find for them um, from the Ospreys. Um, you know, Exeter have been going really well. Uh, yeah, the, the makeup of the back row is a strange one. You, you you would assume that Ben Earl will reprise his World Cup role at number eight, and then it is massively up in the air. Um, I think had had George Martin, Ollie Jessam and Mara Toje all been fit, there would have been a real temptation to play one of those three at six with Earl at seven. Obviously, Tom Curry's out. Um, and then either Ben Curry, Sam Underhill or Pearson at, at seven. Um, but George Martin obviously is, is, is injured. Um, Short term, um, said, the, said the, the press release. Um, so... Yeah, it's massively open there. Pearson has not played. Pearson has not played a lot of six roots, uh, and is not uh, a sort of front line line out jumper. And we know how important that is in in modern day rugby to have that third jumper. Um, so roots could could easily get it. And what a story that would be! I, I think that Underhill surely has to be the front runner at seven. Although he's had he's had a couple of knocks, but I think he has to be the front runner, front runner to wear seven. And then it's probably a shootout between Pearson and Roots at six. Ben Curry in the conversation as well. I mean, he could pick three sevens mm. easily. Mm. In, in these times of change, quite comforting to have a front row of Joe Marler, Jamie George, Dan Cole, just you know, just making sure everything's okay. That's interesting as well because we know Borthwick is about um, sort of balance in his selection and really explicitly. And whether that is, um, sorry to those front rows that you've just mentioned, whether that's something like mobility that he balances out with a, with a kind of quicker back what you, five. What are you saying about that? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I didn't want to say it. Um, or whether that's experience. So whether that, I mean, for, for instance, it was just such an explicit call to have experience in his back three for the World Cup, wasn't it, with May, with May and Daly. And for that reason, I think only one wing slot is open because I think if there are going to be new faces elsewhere in the back line, one of the... Um, and this could look really stupid. One of the safest calls would be to have Elliot Daly continuing in that left wing spot. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, two points on England I want to finish off on. Um, Henry Slade's performances back in the squad sort of hinted that it was almost a bit of a necessity because, you know, there's no Ollie Lawrence, Joe Marchant's in France. I don't know which of you's watched more Henry Slade recently, so I will, I will just toss this up in the air for whoever wants to talk about it. Why is Henry Slade back having not been in the World Cup I think he's very unlucky not to get to the World Cup um, so one reason um, one reason is because he would have been very close anyway second reason Joe Marchant isn't there obviously with Stad third reason he's um, looked really um, influential in a, in, a, in a really kind of calming assured way for a young extra side mm. um, he's very versatile he's been um, as as Will Greenwood again mentioned in our in our player profiles on our on our website he's cutting a few kind of kind of tough tough kind of uncompromising running lines in, in heavy traffic which which is going to be handy because England don't have to laggy or, or Lawrence or, or anybody like that to do that job um, his left foot has looked gorgeous and we'd know um, that's you know that's not news, but Exeter have used it very very nicely on wipers lines. He's even had kind of spells in games, very brief spells in games at fifteen, where that's been a big weapon. Um, so yeah, a lot of reasons, and um, he was another one of the guys that in for, right at the beginning of January, so even before he, he named a squad that Borthwick um, Borthwick highlighted. And just finally, it feels like England couldn't have brought in two um, more different coaches personality-wise than, than Felix Jones and, and Andrew Strawbridge, based on what we're hearing about Andrew Strawbridge. He seems like the kind of character who's really going to provide a bit of levity to the squad as well as a lot of technical detail, whereas, whereas Jones, if you hire a 
defence coach who's just won two Rugby World Cups. Obviously, you expect a lot. Can you can you outline for me how he's going to change the way England play and, and, and what we're going to see from him, Charles, if I come to you first? Well, it, it was certainly they'll have done their homework. You know, Borthwick has already spoken about how intense Felix Jones is and, and, and if Steve Borthwick is saying that then you know you know that Felix Jones is going to be an intense guy and very <laughs> obsessive and, and, and detailed so the, they will surely have a few tricks up their sleeve I remember before the World Cup last year Borthwick saying that you know um, there'll be a few things at the World Cup that we do that people wouldn't have expected from us and, and at that point, I did sort of take him at face value because in that you think back to his time at Leicester in that Premiership final, they did bring up did bring a few tricks out of the sleeve with Richard Wigglesworth, and but we didn't really see it in the, with the way that the World Cup panned out and, and the way that the games went. We didn't really see anything that we didn't really expect from them. And I wonder now, Marcus Smith fifteen, Marcus Smith at fifteen is would be the would be the anomaly to that. Um, we didn't see that much, but I don't, I don't think it changed the way that they played that much. Give them a bit more width, maybe, and just allow them to move the ball better. But they, they didn't. Arguably, they didn't use Marcus Smith as well as they could have done at fifteen. Um, but having said that, in this year's Six Nations, I think there w- there will be a few tricks up the season. I mean, with 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 how the starting fifteen is going to be, with the amount of bodies missing in that back division, I think they're going to have to have a few tricks up their sleeve if they are really sort of. T- chatting about themselves as as title contenders and championship contenders, they're they're going to have to be really smart with the way that they play, especially with. Also, I'm I'm certain that a month ago Alfie Barbary would have been front and centre of the of the plans to at least compete for the number eight starting jersey and give a real heavy duty ball carrying option. They're not going to have that by the look of things, um, unless Alex Dombrant starts at eight. But even then, he's sort of more of a loose player, isn't he? Um, so they're going to be playing quickly. They're going to be playing fast and loose. You'd you'd expect and just be really detailed about at, at the breakdown. And I, I, someone recently was it was it Jamie George who said that the defence is going to be completely different. You're going to see a completely different. Jamie George, it was yeah. Jamie George who was saying that England's defence is going to be completely different in in this year's Six Nations. And you, you probably get the feeling it's going to be much more intense and much more aggressive. Having said that, in South Africa in the um, in the World Cup semi final, it was pretty intense and pretty aggressive. So if it's going to get even better than that then without the ball, I think England fans will be in for a treat. Just finally on England, what's an acceptable tournament? If we think about the schedule and, and who they're playing, um, if, I think three wins would be good, mm. actually. Charlie, what would all what roads, you think? All roads leave to Murrayfield, I think, and that's mm. not that's certainly not to overlook how threatening this first weekend could be for them because Italy have never beaten them. They will have yeah, new coach bounce, um, all, those, all, those, all those sorts of motivations. Um, get over the line at Murrayfield. England, England can be really pleased with themselves, and yeah, three wins for third be pretty, pretty respectable. I think it plays out well quite nicely, doesn't it? Because they have Italy, Wales, Scotland. So if mm. you can build that momentum through quite. the three games, you know, maybe have a crack at the other two who, who are clearly far more further along in their development than you, and, and see mm. what happens. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I think that third, yeah, third is probably sort of bare minimum. I think if fourth would be a disappointment. I think. Mm. I think third third would be acceptable. Third would be par. I think fourth would be a real disappointment because then you've probably only only won two games. Um, perhaps and, the first two. Yes, and perhaps the first two, and then lost three on the bounce. Uh, that's you, you're right. All roads lead to Murrayfield. They could quite easily go to Murrayfield and lose. Of course, this is a it's an excellent Scotland team. However, they will also be thinking that they could quite easily go there and win, especially if the conditions suit them more than they suit Scotland. Scotland like to play very expansively, and if 
if England are really detailed and if they go in with a strategy like they had in that World Cup semi-final of, of just trying to sort of win the game uh, at the expense of potentially not being too entertaining at Murrayfield then there's there's no reason why they couldn't win, win at Murrayfield you know it's, it's going to be tight it's going to be tight it could go either way and it's already shaping up to be a, a, an absolute belter Ahead of this weekend's clash let's get some insight now into this weekend's opponent Italy Sebastian Negri star of the aforementioned Netflix series has been speaking with Charlie Seb, hello. Welcome to the Telegraph Rugby Podcast. How are you? A few days out now from Six Nations Opener. How are preparations coming along? Yeah, no, all good this side uh, in Rome. We got you uh, two days ago. Um, nice to be training in the sun. Um, but no, really excited for for this weekend. Um, obviously, you know, we're under no illusions. It's going to be a tough tournament, but uh, one we're looking forward to. Seb, one, one big strand of the build-up to this year's Six Nations has obviously been... Uh, the de- Netflix documentary Full Contact. Um, at the risk of embarrassing you, you're one of its stars. <laughs> course, um, what, what's it? What's it been like for you? Um, I imagine a reasonably new experience building up to a tournament when you're um, when you're headlining in a Netflix documentary. Yeah, it's been a bit uh, surreal, I guess. Um, but no, I've been I've been obviously taken back by a lot of the support and and all the feedback that I've been given. It's been um, pretty special. Um, you know, just people getting in touch and saying how proud they are, and you know, people that have known me, you know, not recently, but you know, from the from the beginning. So, you know, that side of it's been been pretty cool. Um, obviously, getting quite a quite a bit of stick off the off the boys, um, as one would expect. Um, but no, it's been it's been a really cool experience. Um, obviously, not used to any of that, um, but I think it's a it's a really good thing for rugby and. Um, you know, I think it showcases to everyone that, you know, that we're just human beings away from, away from what we do on a Saturday. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the audience, I know from, from the feedback that I've been given is just maybe a bit more appreciation for what we go through and, and all the sacrifices that we make. Um, so I think, you know, that's been, that's been pretty special. Was, was there a pride in your performance in that, in that England Italy game last season, Seb? Um, yeah. Because although you guys went down personally, I remember thinking at the time how well you'd gone. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, listen, I always, I always want to do well personally. That's just the, you know the nature of sport. Obviously, I was gutted, you know, and I have been gutted on numerous occasions. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Playing for Italy, you know, when we you haven't got over the line and you've given it everything. So, um, yeah, but I think it was I think it was special for me also because of what had happened, you know, you know, leading up into that game. You know, the last time I played against England, I'd got a horrific head injury, you know, which took me a, a long time to to get over. Not only the symptoms that I had, you know, with waking up, you know, vomiting and headaches and and. Yeah, just not being at the races really. That that had a massive effect on me, um, and also the people that were close to me because they could see that I wasn't myself. Um, 
and then to get to you know to get that confidence again to to keep going and then you know just going into that in game just thinking you know I just want to give it everything and hopefully everything turns out okay and you know I was really proud of proud of how I did it individually but I also think you know that second half fight that we showed against England um was pretty special and when when you perform as a team it just makes everything um you know better and yeah, it's, 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 there's just a better feeling Zooming out, Seb, on on Italy as a team, on you guys as a team, yeah. you've shown a lot of promise and you've won a lot of fans over the last year with the way that you've played. Yeah, um, and I, I mentioned this to Michele on on um, at the Six Nations launch. The World Cup must have hurt in the way the way that finished. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk to me about where you feel you are as a team with that in mind? Yeah, it definitely hurt us because you know we had we had worked so hard to get a lot of respect and credibility back and. We genuinely believed that we had what, a, you know, had the the tools and 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 the talent and the team to to put a better performance in it against France and and uh, New Zealand. And, we, and to be fair, if you look at the whole World Cup, we probably weren't at the races for most of it. Um, we didn't really have a convincing performance against Namibia, um, against Uruguay. It was a, the second half performance that got us over the line. And then, you know, we let ourselves down. And there's no one else you can blame. I, I'm not going to sit here and, and say, you know, the staff weren't fully with us or something happened during the week. We've got to take responsibility as players and we let ourselves down. And now we have an opportunity, the Six Nations, to make it right. Um, because over the last 12 to 18 months, you touched on it, that we have gained, you know, a lot of fans through the way we play. And, you know, I, I don't think there's many teams out there that take Italy lightly, um, which is which is a really good thing and a step forward. But now it's the next step is about getting results. And, you know, that's, you know, uh, that's how you judged at the end of the day. So we know for well as players what's expected of us. Um, and we're looking forward to it. We're under no illusions that the Six Nations tournament is going to be tough, like like every Six Nations tournament. But we've got to take that step step further and 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 put some performances that we're really proud of on the back of having two really poor performances and results in the World Cup. Every team goes through um, some kind of renewal, I guess, at the start of a World Cup cycle, and, and mm. it's going to be an England team without without Courtney Laws and without Owen Farrell, among on, among others. Does that? change things and does it change how you view England as a challenge absolutely not um yeah I haven't we honestly speaking we haven't spoken about who's missing who's come in you know we're playing England they're the third best team in the world um you know they're a they're a dangerous team now with one or two attacking players that they've got Marcus and other guys that like to throw the ball around and then they've got a really good set piece and when you have a really good set piece at international level International level just sets the whole tone for the game. Um, they've got a really good maul, good scrum, good pack, um, and they've got guys that are in the prem that are informed. So we're under no illusions, um, you know, what, and thinking about who they're missing and who's not playing. Um, we're playing England, and it's always one of the toughest. And you know, I think I've played England on six or seven occasions, and every single one of those games has been, you know, physical, hard. Um, and really, really tough. So, yeah, uh, we're under no illusions. Seb, good luck for the weekend and the rest of the championship and thank you so much for your time. No, pleasure, Charlie. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks, Charlie. Great to hear from Italy's Sebastian Negri there and we're now going to speak to Eddie Jones, the new Japan head coach. 
to get all his thoughts on his new role in the Six Nations. Hi, Eddie. Uh, whereabouts are you? Uh, currently in Italy, mate, uh, in Florence. So it's not a bad spot. Very nice. Is, is that for a bit of scouting ahead of later this year? How come you're over there? Uh, yeah, just to have a look at England and Italy this week um, and just spending a bit of time with uh, one of the players I used to coach at Saracens who's coaching at Benetton. Oh, okay. Which one's that? Uh, Fabio Ongara. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember him. Oh, very good. Yeah, so just, just catching up to him, have a bit of a chat and find out about Italian rugby. What does he make of it? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, we're just about to catch up, mate. I just arrived. Oh, great. Brilliant. Um, it's good to talk to you again. We last spoke um, in November, and, and now you're you're in charge of Japan. I, I remember when everyone th- remembers sort of Brighton and, and that famous day from your your first thing with, with Japan. But I know that when you joined in 2012, a lot of work went into getting the team into that kind of position where they could pull off that famous result and installing that fast, expansive style. Are, are you now now that you're back with Japan? Are you starting from sort of a stronger point? Than then, and, and what are your priorities in the role? Uh, well, I think there's a number of things that's improved, mate. Uh, if you look at the standard of the the top domestic league, which is now called League One, that's improved remarkably. Like, yeah, you look at the quality of the top four teams, and it's you know not a bad standard at all. Um, but then you look at the World Cup squad, and and whilst I was I was taking over a squad in 2011 that still had players that could go on to 2015, which is always an advantage. Now, if you look at the squad in 2023, it was one of the oldest squads at the World Cup. So, yeah, that means that we've got to rebuild and bring younger players through. Um, and, you know, fast-tracking young players in Test Rugby is... Uh, a challenging part of, of coaching and a challenging part for any national team. So we're looking forward to taking on that challenge. When we spoke in November, you talked about how in your next your next role, you wanted to, you weren't really liking the way the game was played and you wanted to try and do things a bit differently and, and change the game a bit. Can you sort of elaborate how you're hoping to do that with Japan now that you're on board there? Well, I think, yeah, you always want to play a little bit differently. Um, You know, the status quo is in place and it's generally in place because uh, that's been a system that's been in place for a number of years. Uh, The players are equipped to handle that. And if you try to play that sort of rugby, all you're doing is playing catch-up, you know, which has been that power-based High high kicking game and, and South Africa evolved it to another step at the World Cup with the with the, their exceptional counter attack and their exceptional transitional play, um, which took it to a new level. Um, but with Japan, we're going to have to play differently, um, yeah, because we're going to have a, a smaller team than the rest of the world. And I think you know historically, if you look at when Japan's been successful in 2015, 2019 particularly, they played a style of game that was a little bit different from everyone else. So we need to go back to the past to create the future, but we also need to add on some some more uh, strategic elements to our game. You know, we, at, at the moment now in rugby, as we know, it's, it's almost impossible to play continuously long phases of rugby. 
which Japan was very good at. You know, very little little teams progress post the, post the quarterfinals playing that sort of rugby. So you've got to play much quicker. You've got to play with pace. Um, so we've got to add that to our game and add a strategic kicking game to it. Any players in particular who you're quite excited by, kind of younger players who we might not be familiar with over here in the UK? Uh, well, I could name them, but they won't mean much to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're playing England twice this year. We're going to see some of them. Yeah, no, you will. Uh, this, you know, there's two or three good young tens around, um, which is obviously such a crucial position. And it's been really fascinating in the League One here, you know, watching three of the best players have all been Japanese size, Cheslin Colby, Richie Mwanga and Quagga Smith. You know, have all been absolutely outstanding. But they're all little guys. You know, Mwanga's 80Ks, Cheslin Colby's 76Ks, Quagga Smith plays at 94Ks. So it shows where the level of the game can go and, and that's what we've got to aspire our, our Japanese players to, to be thinking about. To think not just to be good in Japan but to be can they challenge to be good in the, you know, as one of the world's best? When we chatted in November, there was so much um, speculation about you and Japan and whether that were, was where you were going to go. And, and it had been going back for weeks and, and months into the World Cup. Are you, are you sort of happy now to sort of set the record straight in terms of how that all played out and how you ended up with Japan and when those first conversations happened? Oh, well, I think I've covered all of that, mate. Um, you know... I don't look back with it with any any feeling that I've been anything but upfront with Australia. Australia knew what was going on. Um, I, I never had any intention to leave Australia, but when Australia wasn't able to to fulfil their obligations, um, and we've seen today, I think the rebels have gone bankrupt. Um, and it's, it's a tough time for Australia, but. You know, to, to progress with from where they are, they need to get things together, and that means that they've got to make some hard decisions, and they and they've got to they've got to develop their players differently. There's a uh, Stan Sport unveiled a, a trailer for a documentary that's coming out, which was filmed sort of during the the World Cup. What are you what are you sort of expecting from that? Have you seen any of it, and what are you expecting to sort of come out of it as well? Oh, I've got no idea, and don't really care, mate. You know, that's all history now. Will you watch it at all? Uh, probably not. And I moved on, mate. You know, and I think one of the things you've got to do in, in rugby in any any role you've got, whether it be a coach or a player, you know, if you keep on looking back over your shoulder and keep keep wanting to either go back or escape from, from what it was, it it doesn't doesn't treat you at all well in what you're doing now. So I've just got to move on. You know, I I uh, had my time in Australia, I had a go, um, you know, we've spoken about there was reasons for, for, for it not working out as it did, but uh, I take full responsibility for it and move on, mate. But I don't want to look back now. Sure, yeah, yeah. With um, with the Six Nations coming up, England are not going to have Owen Farrell there, who was obviously your captain for so long, and, and he's announced that he... He won't be playing in the Six Nations because he's taking a break for his his mental well-being and, and his family's mental well-being. I just wondered what you made of, of that situation and the fact that he's he's now going to Racing as well and he won't be an England player from from the summer. What, what do you make of how that's played out? Well, I think it's a, 
it's a sad indictment on on how we operate as a society now. You know, I, I think, you know, you couldn't get a more committed, hard-working, diligent player than Owen Farrell, you know, and and his record as a point scorer, I don't know where he sits now, but he's, you know, he's obviously up there in the top three, isn't he? So, you know, he's, he's one of the greats of our game. And, and the fact that, yeah, we don't we don't know the reason why he's dropping out, but we do know what happened during the World Cup. You know where uh, he was booed consistently by by fans, and you know there was some context that you know even his own fans could have been booing him. Uh, he's been attacked, and his family's been attacked on social media for what? You know, because he's a hard hard committed player. He's being attacked for that. So, yeah, all of that doesn't sit well. But um, as we know, social media is not going to go back, mate. It's going to keep going forward. And it'll reach the nth degree and then someone will pull it back as as what happens with all of these things. Have you spoken to him at all since that decision? Or- uh, we've had some text messages, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be... Um- it means that England is sort of in this a bit of a rebuild now with with Jamie George as captain. You've obviously worked closely with him. How do you think he'll get on in the role? Yeah, Jamie will do a good job, mate. But you know, I think you know Steve's got the inevitable task of of rebuilding England in a in a high expectation, high demand environment, and I'm sure he's going to do a good job. And Jamie will do a good job bringing the the team through, you know, in reality, that team's been going through transition since 2021. Um, and it's been a long transition period. Um, and, you know, you've got to congratulate the the players on what they did at the World Cup in 2023. I thought they, you know, played some really good, tough English rugby. And I'm sure they're going to do that in the Six Nations. I'm sure Jamie will get the best out of the team. There's quite a few uncapped players in, in the squad. I think about seven of them. I wondered if any of them were on your your radar when you were when you were still with England. Someone like Finn Smith, for example, who we might see starting against Italy this weekend. Yeah, look, he was he was just coming through. You know, he he'd been playing for Worcester, and obviously Worcester were, you know, uh, not performing greatly, so it was difficult for him, but. He just moved to Northampton when I was about to to leave, and you know was showing signs of of developing his game. He's a you know he's got a good skill set, good kicking game, quite a mature, calm player, and one of those young tens that seems to have experience already. You know, a bit like an Owen Farrell type. Um, so he'll ma- he'll probably make the jump to Test rugby. Uh, quicker than the more instinctive tends do, like a Mwanga or a Marcus Smith. And I was going to ask you a bit of a cheeky question, but in, in hindsight, who was easier to work with? There are a few, or Rugby Australia, given you both worked for them recently? Uh, look, mate, I've found the longer I've worked, I've found every union to be the same. Yeah, they, they've all got, they all want to do well. Um, yeah, some have got more resources than others. Um, the politics of the of the unions are the same. They just have different different colours, different jackets, you know, different leather patches on their on their elbows. But it's it's very much the same, mate. And facing England twice this year, you looking forward to that? 
Uh, well, I think it's fantastic for Japan. Yeah, if you consider again eight years ago with Japan, Japan was the joke country of, of world rugby. You know, everyone could play against them. You know, they'd play their B team against them at the World Cup and beat them by 70 points. Um, and now they've got, you know, we've got a fixture list of two England first and last game and we've got France and New Zealand in between. So we've got the, you know, we've got the full buffet, mate. <laughs> with, um, with the Six Nations kicking off, do you miss it, all the intensity and, and the rivalries of it? It's quite a, quite a crazy seven-week period, isn't it, when it's all going on? Uh, it, it is a fantastic competition. Fantastic competition. So I don't miss it, but um, it's a fantastic competition to be involved in. I'm sure 2016 and, and, and the Grand Slam would be your highlight. I just wondered what, what other favourite memories you sort of have from it? Uh, well, I think it's always the games where you played really well. I, I can remember, I'm just trying to think of the year, it was either 2017 where we played Ireland first up, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we hadn't been able to beat them. Um, and we came out of the blocks really quickly and got 20 points on them early and played some really good rugby that day. I think any of those games against, you know, France and Ireland are always the highlights where you've got to play well to beat them. And if I asked you just for a prediction in terms of a winner this year, who do you think looks strongest and will probably end up with the title? Yeah, I think, you know, post the World Cup, it's always a difficult year to predict um, because you don't know how teams come up. Um, You know, I remember in 2020, we were a long way from our best because we still had a bit of a 2019 hangover. But, we, you know, in that COVID interrupted, we still managed to win win the Six Nations in 2020. So I would think, you know, the strongest teams have been France and Ireland. And they will have a bit of a World Cup hangover. Um, you know, France are obviously missing Dupont. Se- uh, Ireland are miss- missing Sexton, and England are missing Farrell. So they're, you know, they're three talisman players that are missing from those teams. So each of those three teams, how they cope with with missing that player, and more so, not only their play but also their leadership, I think is going to be important. You know. The Pont's one of those more, uh, you know, adventurous type leader because of the way he plays, you know, and I think he inspires his players to give more. Sexton was the coordinated, calm, you know, we know where we're going. And no one had a bit of a fire in Brinstone, plus being, you know, exceptionally tough player himself. So they'll all miss that. And who can fill the gap? The quickest, or I think, will be the team that wins out of that. So I'm not giving you a very good answer. <laughs> about as close as I can get. It's almost it almost feels like a title decider on the first game on the first night, doesn't it? With with Ireland going to Marseille to face France, and whoever comes out of that will be. Yeah, well, well I think it, I think you get a pretty good indication of where both teams are um, early in the comp because of that. You know, England with Italy, Italy probably came through. We're probably one of the most disappointing countries at the World Cup, um, you know, because they had played really well. They've got a they've got a new coach in Casada who'll bring a, diff, a much different approach to the game than than what Kieran wanted uh, Italy to play. You know, Italy were a high passing game. I would imagine under Casada they're going to be much more of a running, kicking team, uh, a bit more a set piece, 
Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether they can reach the heights that they did under Kieran. So France to win it, if I push you? Uh, I would think so, mate. Mm. I would think so. Um, but I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna go down the wire. Might be one of those ones that's decided on the last round. Yeah. And will you watch the games as much as you can? I know you're in Italy now, so you. Uh, I watch every game. Every game of interest. I'm going out there on on Saturday to have a look because we're playing both of them, um, which will be good. Um, yeah. You know, and there's usually forty thousand English fans there. Should be a good turnout. Eddie, thanks so much for your time. Great to hear from you. Good on you, Ben. Cheers. Thank you very much. Nice to chat to you again. Cheers. Keep well. Thanks, boys. Thanks for your time, Eddie. Great to hear from you. Uh, Let's look ahead now to the rest of the weekend's matches. Okay, it's quite an appealing opening weekend of the Six Nations, I think, mainly because of this very spicy Friday night game. Where is it, Charles? Marseille. Why is it not in Paris? Because of the 2024 Summer Olympics, they have moved, France have moved all their games around the country. So they face Ireland in Marseille, Italy in Lille, and England, Le Crunch, in the final weekend in Lyon. France, Ireland then to open. Let's talk about. Oh, this is a great question to pose to you two. Who is the bigger miss, Dupont for France or Sexton for Ireland? Charlie? Sexton for Ireland, Ben. Oh, good answer. Why? Because France have Luku, who um, arguably is a nicer fit for Matthew Jalibert, who will be there um, 10, um, the club colleagues at, at Bordeaux. And I just think there's more of an unknown with how Ireland sorry, go about um, replacing replacing Sexton. It looks like Jack Crowley, doesn't it? Um, who's going who's gonna to be 10 in his stead. Lots of swagger about Jack Crowley. Nice, neat, kicking game. Um as I say, lots about him, but there's just that, just that question mark, and in such a pivotal position, they're they're obviously going to have to, they're just they're just not going to be the same side um, because of how pivotal and how influential um, Johnny Sexton has been to them. Another big miss, I think, is is Matt Canson, potentially an underrated miss. Mm. Um, he's he's like that. They have loads of they have loads of playmakers, don't they? Keenan's Keenan's fantastic at fullback for them as well. But in that sort of multifaceted attack with that. Um, kind of unpredictable phase play and you know layers of runners all over the shop Hansen buzzing around just ties it all together so nicely and he had a phenomenal Six Nations last last um, last season so big miss there too I find Crowley yeah. fascinating because it felt like they sort of they were searching for the the success of quite a while and, and they've tried so many players and Actually, it's quite a short and sharp apprenticeship for, for Jack Crowley. Like, he's only got nine caps. It was autumn of 2022, I think, or maybe that summer where he first came in. Mm-hmm. So he has sort of been given the keys to what otherwise, Hansen being absent, is still a fairly strong side on yeah. paper, Charles, from the looks of things. No, no, it definitely is. Um, yeah, people are coming back for more. And, uh, I mean, Crowley was against Finn Smith in, in that Munster-Northampton game as well, and he, and he actually... You know, Finsmith completely outplayed him, not meaning to go, you know, harp on too much, just going back to that. But I wasn't actually too impressed by Crowley that evening. And I did think, uh, is there, you know, is that, is that, is it really sort of, is he really the man? Is he really the man to, to, to be the heir to Sexton? Um, I'm not sure, but I mean, yeah, I mean, this is just going to be an absolute humdinger on Friday night, isn't it? You said it was spicy. It's, it's Vindaloo, Vindaloo levels of, of spice, I think. Just neither, I mean, we've already spoken quite a bit in this in this podcast about momentum in the Six Nations, and I think neither team will want to lose on, on Friday night for obvious reasons, in that you just never want to lose a game of rugby, and, and because both are looking to avenge 
or at least move on from um, disappointing um, World Cup placings. But also in terms of the, the, the scope of the championship as, as, a, as a five round affair, you don't want to lose the first game because then you, you basically have to win the second game to, to keep your championship hopes alive. And, and, and where do France go on the on the second weekend there at Murrayfield on the on the second weekend? Is that correct? Yeah, and so right. you know you know that they, they would be favourites for that game, but again, not a foregone conclusion for them to go there and and, and win. Really not. I, I don't know what Harry Burns' fitness status is, but I, but I wonder. Chatting about the the Finn Smith combinations with his Northampton teammates, I wonder if he was fit. Whether they just would have gone right. You've got Gibson Park and loads of Leinster players around you. Let's just let's just slot you into this back line ahead of Crowley and just keep keep that kind of Leinster feel for a bit of continuity, especially given you say... I mean, we've spoken about Marseille before because I think we've all covered matches there now and, it, and it's probably up there as one of our favourite venues to Definitely. see a test match because it's it's just wild, isn't it? So that's fascinating for, for Ireland. In, I think we're all fairly settled on that these two teams, the one, one of them is going to win the whole thing. Yeah. And probably France because they're at home. Is that Charlie where you're kind of you're leaning at the moment? That's where I'm leaning. I, you know, Scotland having France at home after after they go to Wales, two wins there. For, I mean, it's, it, that's yeah, as you say, not a foregone not a foregone conclusion. And they've troubled France in in various ways over the last couple of years. In the in numerous times they played they've played each other. They went back to back. I know they were only World Cup warmups, but uh, Scotland were fantastic in France for a lot of that game too. Um, they they could certainly break up that that order, but yeah, I think I'm with you with you at the minute that it's those two battling out for for one and two. Scotland are actually the team that interests me the most. I know that might sound a bit strange because they actually are the team that hasn't gone through the most change. Like they're they're not missing as many big hitters. I know Darcy Gray might be out for I think potentially the first couple of games with an injury, but. The core of their side is still there. They're not trying to replace anybody, which actually makes you think, come on, Scotland, like finally. 25 can years. We, can we see a title charge? Like, if Can you win in Cardiff against Wales? Which actually, on paper, doesn't sound like that hard a task given where Wales are, but, but it's something that they don't do enough. It's something they haven't no. done for an age, I don't think. Can you beat France at home having come really close in 2020, I think it was? Like... They need to start winning these games. I want to take them more seriously. I want to believe that they're title contenders. Yeah. This has got to be the time. I hope. I hope this isn't the case because I hope there are more twists and turns along the way over the next over the course of the next couple of months. But it does feel like the winner on Friday night wins the whole thing. But I, I really yeah. do. I really do hope that that isn't the case and it isn't as much of a foregone conclusion. There we go again. Um, as that, I. I really. I really hope that there's more intrigue to the to the whole championship than simply Italy losing five matches and either France or Ireland winning all five matches after winning in Marseille on Friday night. You know, you do hope there is more intrigue than that, especially after the World Cup where it was an all Southern Hemisphere final. Can we have a bit of a bit of drama? A bit of drama and a bit of intrigue, please. Yeah. We, we had to do our predicted tables, didn't we? And I kind of yeah, I thought top bracket France, Ireland, middle bracket, England, Scotland, bottom bracket, Wales, Italy, and I just hope one of them jumps between them. That'd be mm. fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. To correct myself, 2022, Scotland lost to France. They beat them in 2020. But I just think if they can win, I mean, you can win in Cardiff. You could potentially beat France at home at Murrayfield. We're not mad about England, given the changes that England have got going on in their selection at the moment, and if the fact that it feels England are at the start of a cycle. Then you play Italy. 
oh god, I'm starting to believe it. And then, and then you, but an Islander just the prey. And then you go to Dublin at the end. Who do aren't they? Um, I don't know. Oh yeah, they've just been, they've been bullied and sort of just that, mugged yeah. by Highland like horribly yeah, yeah, yeah. in various ways that's the big final boss isn't it quite um, aptly in the final round and also because their record against them is, is not not great we e- every side have got has got either a new 10 a new coach or a new captain right and Scot- so Scotland have yeah. got same coach same 10 but they've had the made luxury their captain of the 10. changing made turn the, the captain had the luxury of changing their captain just because they, they've taken it off Jamie Ritchie and who it is to, still in the squad yeah yeah, they just decided to go with new people, which mm. is actually not something that other teams have been able to do. No. I mean, are we, are we sort of convincing ourselves here of Scotland Grand Slam World no. Cup win 2027? No, 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 absolutely not. And, I, and I've been fooled before by Scotland. So chat to me next Monday when we're back in the studio after I've seen Wales put 20 on them in Cardiff <laughs> or whatever, and, and, and it's all in tatters. I just want... I'm just getting a bit frustrated that this seems to be a very talented group and I feel like there's more that they can deliver. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Um, and we should chat about Wales actually as well given that's that's the game on Saturday the late game in Cardiff which Wales is such an interesting place I, I love this I feel a bit bad for David Jenkins that he's sort of being talked about as Alan Wynne-Jones mm. Mark II and, and Warren Gatlin sort of suggested that last week when he said he's he's a captain in the mould of, of Alan Wynne-Jones and you almost think well don't say that just say that he's quite a quiet kind of determined captain But but these are the these are the standards that are being set for him to follow. The, the Reece Samit news, I think, the shock of that, I think, is probably already subsided. As in, obviously, he would have been in their plans to play. He would have been a key figure in that backline. He's such a threat. At 22, this this cycle might have been the cycle where he's already achieved so much, but maybe maybe the four-year cycle where he, he took over the world at the moment he's not there. Let's see how the NFL thing pans out. Who knows? I think the fact there's no Dan Bigger at fly half, in fact, there's no Jack Morgan. Like, yeah, it seems to be the thing that's, that people are forgetting. Like Jack Morgan's not there because of knee surgery. Like he was in a in a pretty good World Cup campaign for Wales. He he was the best player by mm. a mile. I think he even ended up in a lot of team of the tournaments as well. At the end, he was fantastic. So therefore, Charles' expectations are quite low about Wales, aren't they? But that's probably exactly what Warren Gatlin wants. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there is a little bit of that siege mentality there. I think expectations are low. Um, but at least they don't—they don't have to go to France. You know, they—they they will have France at home, um, and they will have Italy at home as well. I know that didn't make much of a difference two years ago, but mm. um, you know, these—these these are games. The Italy—I mean, the Italy game could be another must-win for them. Um, and the fact that the, that the Italians have to travel to Cardiff, you know, Wales will be, regardless of what happens, you'd expect Wales to be favourites for that game. Um, but yeah, I mean. Expectations are low for Wales. Would we say is that fair enough? I think that I think that they are in that bottom bracket with Italy this season. But also, perfectly happy to be proven wrong. Would love to be proven wrong because they've got some quality young talent. I mean, Daffy Jenkins has been been sublime for Exeter this season in the second row. Um, Tommy Reffel is get, gets better with every game for Leicester when he can stay fit. Um, Sam Costello looks like he has potential to be a real sort of a real leading light at fly half. Nick Tompkins has looked good for Nick. Look, look real good for Saracens as he always does. You know there there are real good players there, um, and you just you just hope that for, for such a rich rugby country, you hope that they don't start. This isn't the start of a sort of gradual decline for them, and you hope that there is a a real strong future for for Welsh rugby. They, they should have been a World Cup semi final, shouldn't they? They they were mm. created enough to beat Argentina, 
created created enough line yeah. breaks, couldn't couldn't convert them, and the line out went to pot. Um, but then so much has changed since then. So it's difficult. It's almost like they're starting again. And yeah, I'm I'm pessimistic about about them. I'd say Scotland's last win at the Millennium Stadium. Anybody? Two thousand and two. No, it's two thousand and two. Scotland, please. Okay, this is it. This has got to be it. Right, let's wrap up that section and have some of your questions. Okay, before we start the questions, just reacting to some developing news as we sit here in the podcast studio, which is that Midi Olympic are reporting that Courtney Laws is just his signature away from signing for Breathe next season. Charles, uh, that feels like a classic club for Courtney Laws to join in France. If you'd, t- if you'd said to me, Courtney Laws is going to join join a French club for some reason my head Breve seems like a perfect fit that's going to be from a from a Breve angle can you tell us a bit about Breve and, and what they're up to at the moment yeah I can um, I, didn't, I didn't think I'd be doing that on this on Six Nations <laughs> preview that's the game <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're second division French club obviously they've they're, they're European champions in 1997 they've they yo-yo quite regularly between the top 14 and the and the Pro de the second division they have uh, a, a wealthy owner who's an Englishman um, Ian Osborne uh, and they've got grand designs. They've got they've got they're a very very ambitious club. They want to get straight back into the top fourteen. Um, they're currently I'm, off the top of my head. I'm going to go sixth in the in the uh, de table. They're certainly in and around the playoff spots. They had a really ropey start to the season um, under Patrice Calazzo, the coach. He was sacked. Pierre Henri Broncon, uh, the former Cast coach, who was uh, Eddie Jones's more coach with Australia. Um, has now I think they've won five, four of their last five or five of their last six matches. They're right back into the playoff spots for the for the Pro and I imagine that Courtney Laws will have been offered quite a, a lucrative uh, contract and offer um, to go there. And they're a very ambitious club and um, a rugby mad town. Uh, I've never actually been to the town or the ground, but by all accounts, I think they get. I think I think something silly like half of the, a third of the town's population go and watch. If if the if the stadium is full, it, it, that comprises a third of the town's population. Um, and good luck to him. Why why not? I'm sure he'll be a great fit. It's a shame for English rugby. It's a shame for the Premiership. It's a shame for Northampton because I did think that he might end his career as a one club man. But clearly, he wants to go and experience something else, and you can't begrudge him that. Now to actually get into your questions, um, we had one from Elliot, which was to say, uh, which young player will will have a breakthrough season in this year's tournament? We've actually all picked kind of predictions for the tournament, and, and I don't know when they're going to be up online, but you'll see them at some point. But because of that, that means we can tell you who we've picked for our breakthrough player. So, um, Charlie, start with you. Who have you gone for? I went with Joe McCarthy, um, and Elliot might agree with me because I actually bumped into him at that game. Mm. Um, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, That's good. so uh, he was... his athleticism and dynamism in that game for Leinster was eye-popping and there's got a nasty streak about him as well which all big enforcer locks it, it tends to be quite handy um, he's growing a mullet um, <laughs> all in on him he, 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 he's got a handful of caps for Ireland and hasn't played in Six Nations yet I don't believe um, so it'd be the, his first taste of the tournament um, and Andy Farrell has potential headaches around the back five and how he configures that and McCarthy's capable of Smashing all that up and and being a starter, I think. Did a mullet genuinely come into the thinking? Yeah, yeah, he looked. Uh, he looked nails genuinely scary. Right, well trying, to choose, trying to choose those players yeah. isn't easy. Sometimes you just need something to, to tip you over the line. Fine margins. Sp- I mean, speaking of scary, I went with Emmanuel Mayafu, the uncapped French lock, who also qualifies for uh, New Zealand and Australia, um, but is 
he says he's France through and through, wants to play for France. He's been at Toulouse for the past two or three seasons and has been tearing it up over there. Um, when can we and, expect to well, see yes, him? This is, this is the, annoyingly, yeah. I've slightly shot myself in the foot because he's not fit uh, for this Friday night's match against Ireland. And um, he might not be fit for the Scotland game either. I think he's uh, due to play at least three matches for France. I think that he would have started this Friday night um, had he been fit. He's sort of filling that because they're missing Thibaut Flamand in the second row as well and he had leapfrogged Paul Villemsa in the pecking order Villemsa is now back um, just he's the sort of the late he's the more likely of, of France's two gargantuan locks that they've called up Pasolo Twilangi um, Manu's nephew yes um, the other one Mayafu we are much more likely to see Mayafu I think um, just because he's played more high level elite rugby um, and his his impact on that Toulouse team has been sensational. I think he's got for for a man who is so big. I think he's got the most jackal turnovers in the Champions Cup this season, which is uh, staggering. When I found that out, Elliot actually suggested Tuilagi, who, um, yeah, like you say, only nineteen and over twenty three yeah. stone. So when he does get involved, we're we're going to notice. Because... I've met him actually. Oh, and okay. he's a lovely, lovely, lovely bloke. Excellent. Um, and I was expecting. I I I, I rolled out my my sort of my best French and he just replied saying uh, speak English bro sweet okay that's good I like that. <laughs> and I was like oh okay let's do English then um, I also went with the French player I went with Nolan Legarek, the young scrum half from Racing I watched him in a Champions Cup quarter final uh, against Sale about 18 months ago where he bossed the show and I thought it's not fair that France basically get to have this much scrum half depth and that He's coming through to rival Dupont. I, I think, like we've said, Maxim Luca will start, but Legarek, who can goal kick as well, will come off the bench and most likely close out games for France during the tournament. And yeah, he looks really impressive. Still just 21. Um, Simon sent us five questions, so I'm going to read them all out and we're going to pick two. They are, in order, how much of a drop-off should we expect from Ireland? Which France is going to turn up? Why are Italy one to watch? Fictionless-wise, is this England's year? And any indication if the Netflix stock is cut through? Well, we've sort of done Netflix, and we've sort of done. Um, have we done? We've touched on Ireland a bit. Um, let's chat a bit more about Italy because we haven't done that yet. And, and Charlie, your your new best mate Gonzalo Casada clearly made an impression on you at the launch. So what what did he sort of set out that he wants from his team as well as that aggressive defence? Um, well, it was sort of more stability and solidity with regard to defence, and just and you and. Michele Lomaro, I kind of invited him to talk about the World Cup if he wanted to at that launch, and he, and he did. And he said things like, it, it, they're moments that we'll never forget. Anybody that was a part of those two losses will we'll never forget them. And they were chasing them. I wasn't at either of them. I was, um, I was on my shuttles back to the UK, so I was watching them from the from the UK, and they were horrible. Um, so <laughs> if you're taking out, if you're taking out those... Um, just those lapses, you'd expect Casada to do that. You'd expect him to maybe add a little bit of a little bit in the in the kicking game. Um, I was just having a look at the stats actually earlier today. Italy had by quite a decent way the fewest uh, kicking meters per game, and you did just as much as there under Crowley. The way they moved the ball was fantastic, and the, and the patterns that they were kind of running in in phase play really fun with those um, kind of playmakers and Capuazzo like sw- swinging across the field in in, in deeper. Level to attack you did just sense sometimes that they played the way certainly at Twickenham played the way into trouble a bit 
Um, I would expect them to be a little bit more pragmatic and to play to make sure that they're playing, they're running those those patterns in better areas and more pragmatic areas of the field. Um, and that could be that could be the difference, you know. That could that could that could allow them to really really stick in with teams. They stuck in with France last year. They stuck in with with England last year for for well, sorry, I'm lying. They struck, stuck in with Scotland last year for for decent periods and, and were right in the mix at the end of that game. Um, yeah, it could get them over the line. And Charles, if I pick a second question from Simon, if I pick which France are going to turn up, I imagine the answer is probably a very good one and a very ticked-off one at how things panned out at the Rome World Cup. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think we're... Uh, sorry, Simon, but I think we're actually now getting to the point where that question is, can be can be sort of filed in the cabinet and left there forever because I think we're going to have a pretty good France uh, for years and years to come. They're dominating age group, age group level, and the club game is the most elite of any country in the world and you know they were knocked out of the World Cup in the quarterfinal by the eventual champions in a game that could have gone either way so I think they're going to be perennially dangerous probably for the rest of hopefully for the rest of our lifetimes because a good France means just good global rugby I think I don't think we've said it yet just a very very finish on the last night France Grand Slam like if they beat Ireland on Friday which I think we're leaning towards then why why not because it yeah. just bigged up Scotland so much. Yeah. It's, the, it's their year of three games at home. So Charlie, you can't trust Scotland. Come on. <laughs> Scotland grandson. Right, that's it for today. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Charles. A big thanks to Eddie Jones and Sebastian Negri for speaking with us too to help us preview the Six Nations. Thanks to you for downloading the podcast. If you're new here, welcome along and make sure to tell all the rugby mad friends in your life about what we're doing. The three of us will be here every week throughout the Six Nations and we'll be joined by some top guests along the way as well. That's all for this week. Enjoy the opening weekend of Six Nations action and we'll catch you next week. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.